grace and peace to you from Him who is and who was and who is coming. Our text for our sermon is Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 18. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from Him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before He is thrown. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is the word of our Lord. Around 1300 A.D., Leonardo da Vinci painted one of his great works of art, The Last Supper of Our Lord, and he really botched it. They were laying, not sitting at a table. By the way, they were celebrating the Passover meal. That meant lamb, not the fish that he painted. And he got confused. You see, John Mark, who came to be known as Mark to avoid confusion because there's so many Johns in the Bible, was about 12 years old when Jesus was crucified. And because of John the disciple's youthful vigor, like running to the tomb and beating Peter there, he, he thought that he was a very, very young person and, and, and painted him without a beard. And then people imitating Leonardo da Vinci made John more and more effeminate until finally John gets painted as a woman. And people say, Pastor Sherman, who's that woman in the painting? And I try to explain to them they didn't take a picture in those days and there's a lot of mistakes. John was no sissy, brothers and sisters in Christ. He was not no girly guy. John had grit. John was with Andrew at the same time were the first apostles, the first disciples. John had already given up a manly vocation. Muscular from pulling in those weights of fish and, and dealing with his boat, John had already given up quite a blue-collar vocation to be a disciple of John the Baptist when he follows Jesus. John calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved, meaning he was Jesus' best friend, and we can see that. On the night that Jesus is arrested, all the disciples flee. 
Peter, who had come forward with the sword earlier, lost his backbone and would deny the Lord three times. Deny him before a servant girl. But John, John with the Marys, had the backbone, the grit, to stand at the foot of the cross. One of his seven statements, Jesus says, from the cross is to this man, because he was Jesus' best friend and he had the grit. And his statement basically was, take care of my mother as your own. He told his mother, let this man be my substitute as your son. When the Marys found the tomb empty and reported to the apostles, two, two ran to see it. But John, John beat Peter there. John stood outside the tomb trying to figure it out. It's empty. What does it mean? Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, this was not the case for Thomas, was it? The others they had seen, so they knew it was true. Thomas said, I've I've got to put my hands there. I've got to fill those nail holes and where the spear had pierced him. Jesus gave Thomas that command, stop doubting and believe. And it was a command, but it wasn't like my telling my kids get to bed, where if they don't obey, there'll be consequences in his command. It's the word of God and he was fulfilling it so that Thomas's faith was strengthened and he actually stopped his unbelief and began believing again. All the apostles but John, the man with true grit, died martyr's death. They were strengthened and they would never deny their Lord. It was easy. It was easy. The Romans would say, offer a pinch of incense to Caesar. Sing a little prayer to him. It was an act of worship. And you can go. By the way, you'll have to turn over your scrolls and stuff, but we'll let you go. Not a one of them would do it. They were confident of what they had seen. And their reward, yes, their reward doesn't seem like a reward to us. Their reward was martyrs' deaths. They went to heaven. But John, it seemed as a special reward. He was the one who had the grit to stand at the cross. Not saying the Bible says this is why, but John would die of natural causes. But don't kid yourself, brothers and sisters in Christ. He endured persecution as well. He says in verse 9, I, John, your brother, and joint partaker in affliction. The Roman government was persecuting the Christian church. John had outlasted many of those who did it, like Nero. And the one who would put him, who would persecute him the most would be Diocletian. He would outlast him too. I, John, your brother and joint partaker in the affliction and the kingdom and the endurance of Jesus, I myself came to be on the island of Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Diocletian was nicer. Instead of putting John to death or torturing him to death, he simply exiled him to Patmos. Brothers and sisters in Christ, John is in his 90s, in his 90s at this time, and he is handed a rough life of exile. He'll outlast his exile. Church tradition has it, he makes it to be into his hundreds before he dies. But imagine this, brothers and sisters in Christ. He had seen the empty tomb. He had talked and conversed with Jesus during those 40 days before his ascension. He saw Jesus rise, and then he saw the church grow. He saw Pentecost Sunday, and he saw persecution. He saw James, the brother of the Lord, or at least heard of him being killed. The apostle Paul, one by one, they get knocked off. And it is not until all the others are dead He's in his 80s that he finally writes the Gospel of John. He fills in what the others did not report, although he says you can't fill it all. It would take more books than exist. Imagine the loneliness. My wife and I came in Saturday night 
at about three o'clock in the morning, we still were at, we we're just leaving Douglas in the rearview mirror. We could see the lights of Casper. Imagine sitting at the island of Patmos and being able to look out at any candle lights and seeing the city of Ephesus. Why, Lord? I'm old. I'm lonely. The church is being persecuted. I'm not saying doubts always haunted him, but they had to have at times. And he gets to see one last time in his 90s the glory of the risen Lord. And today, that's what you and I do. We see the glory of the risen Lord. The first thing that he saw is that the Lord is our ever-living God. In verse 8, Jesus says to him, I myself am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, the one who is and who was and who is coming, the Almighty. Now, John himself would see the Roman Caesars who were persecuting the church. He would see them come and go. He would outlive many of them. But God says, I outlive them all. I am God. I'm the Almighty. You and I cannot imagine what it was like to sit in that time and wonder what was going on. But God knew how he was going to crumble the Roman Empire and the very people, the Germanic tribes that he would use to do it, would come to faith through it. God is amazing. He is in control. And when he allows persecution, it's for the benefit of his church. He's the ever-living God. He's not this weak, sissy God that people forget about and is lost in time. Recently, through the Wicca religion, if you will, a false religion, false gods like Odin and Thor have come to be worshipped again. And you laugh, you say, you're backing a losing horse. These people haven't been worshipped for a thousand years. You think they got something to offer you? But our God is ever-living he is the almighty, the all-powerful. The Roman Empire was the largest empire in human history, and God used it. As they persecuted his church, his church grew. God was in control until in 300 AD with Constantine, he said, you'll conquer by this sign. And Constantine became a believer and made Christianity a legal religion. And it boomed again in through Europe. Remember that, brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we have an election coming. We've lost a member of the Supreme Court who was a staunch defender of the freedom of religion. The Christian church is being persecuted, even in America. Christians who do not want to do business that forces them to do things, they, to support things they know are morally wrong, are being taken to court and being sued for more money than their business is going to make. And, and we can think, we just got to elect the right guy or the right person. God's in control, brothers and sisters in Christ. The person who's going to win is going to win. And if it's God's plan that it's persecution, God's going to bless us through persecution. And if it's defense of our rights, God is going to bless us with defense of our rights. He's in control. Now, John says he turned around and saw a voice which was speaking with him. And after turning around, he saw seven lampstands made of gold. We're going to get into that in, the middle, in a minute. And in the middle of the lampstands, he says, was someone like a son of man. Remember, Jesus called himself the Son of Man. Why is John saying he's like a Son of Man when Jesus is 100% true God, but 100% true man? 
Because John, who had seen Jesus in his state of humiliation, when he's not using the full powers of his godhood, when he's hiding them, he saw Jesus dying the shameful death in man's eyes of the cross, hanging naked, appearing to be weak and frail. Now he sees Jesus in all of his godly glory. His, the glory of God is shining through him. He can still recognize him as a man, but he is glorious. Something else is being seen there. He's now seeing the glorified Lord. So he appears like a man, although he is man. And he says, having clothed himself with a long robe, reaching to his feet and having wrapped a belt made of gold around his chest. There's a picture, brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember that the Old Testament priest wore a belt around his chest, too. But it wasn't just a picture of a priest. A king, a stately king, would dress this way with a long flowing robe and with a good gold belt, a beautiful belt wrapped around him. Jesus is the king of all. And it doesn't seem like that as the church endures hardships, hard times as we live in this world. But he gets to see that is my God who is king of all creation. I get to see his glory. And then he says, Now his head and hair were shining as wool, shining as snow, and his eyes were flames of fire. The whiteness represents his holiness on the head. Even his thoughts are holy, perfectly holy all the time, perfectly holy for you. His thoughts are always perfectly planning holy things for you. White as snow. Look outside. It is beautiful. There's a purity to it until you have to shovel it. But there is a beauty to it that reminds us sinlessness. This is our Lord, our Lord who rules for us. But those eyes, the flaming fire, that's scary for us and comforting for us. He's the ever-living God. He is God Almighty. He sees our sins. Oh, my sinful nature hates that. Oh, I saw that one too, Fred. You can't sweep that underneath the rug. My sinful nature hates the fact that God's eyes are flames. And it reminds us that what he sees can cause great indignation at the unholiness. But you're in my new man. The one that's alive in Christ is thankful that those eyes are flames. He sees all and... So because we couldn't sweep our sins under the rug, we even lie to ourselves and deceive ourselves about our sin. But God says, you couldn't lie to me. And my eyes of flames, well, those flames are my blood that washed your sins away. I have purified you. And those eyes, when we are persecuted, they rule, they see, and they will work. In the case, case of the Apostle Paul, he took the persecutor and made him the staunch defender. In the case of others, what comes around goes around. They will end up in hell. They cannot hide it. And his feet were something like fine metal when it is in a kiln that has been made really white hot. Not just red hot, as hot as it can be. You stand on your feet. You make your stance. Now the picture here isn't it's so hot that it's molten and he's going to fall over. What happens when you got something that's white hot? You touch it and it will just burn your flesh right off the bone, right? When God makes his stand, nothing is going to stop him. He'll burn it. He'll burn it up. And this is God who sees all and rules for you. And his voice was a roar of many waters. I've never been to Niagara Falls, but if I've been to places where more than one river meet together and the sound is deafening. 
This is his word, brothers and sisters in Christ. His word is deafening. It cannot be ignored. Those who hate it will have to admit when they go to hell, they chose to go, I'm not listening, and the word still pierced through their ears and they chose to hate it. But his word is all powerful. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a lot that goes on in the book of Revelation, and yet it's a very simple message. To a man who looks out across uh, the sea and can see the churches, his brothers and sisters in Christ that he can't be with. The message is very simple of Revelation, in spite of people who make a lot of money hawking fear out of this book. It's very simple. There will be roars, rumors of wars, famines, persecutions, plagues. It will appear as though the church is dying and going to be defeated. But I am God. I am the Almighty. I am the All-Powerful. My word will sustain my church and it will remain until the day I return. Seven visions that say that. Now, we've seen the glory of our risen Lord. He's our ever-living God, all-powerful, ruling for us. But those lampstands, seven lampstands, the menorah candle had seven candles in it, three in one, three in one, hint, hint. He stands right in the middle of them. Now, these churches are all churches of Asia Minor. They're representative of Christianity. All but one of them is screwing up. And each one of them shows a mistake we can make in our church, but the one that stays on the word. And as he, but there's a beautiful picture there, brothers and sisters in Christ. Just as our lamp stands, we got, we've only got two, but the Lord is standing in the middle of them. What does that mean? This almighty, all-powerful God is right there in the middle of his church. And what is church? Church is people gathered in his name. Wherever two or three come together in my name, there I am. And that means when the world is picking on us, when the world is persecuting us, when other supposed Christian churches are hurling their false teachings at us, Jesus says, stand firm. I'm with you. In fact, what makes you a member of the true invisible church is being united to his body with him as the head. And so we're told that he's standing among those. He says in verse five, and from Jesus Christ, the witness who is faithful, the one who's firstborn from the dead and the rulers of the kings of the earth, this one who stands in the middle of his church, who is the head, who's protecting it, he's faithful. And he rose again so you can be confident whether ill health, old age, Persecution, take your life. You're going to rise. Your Lord rose. And not only did he appear once, not only did he let Thomas do that, touch his hands as he appeared another time, he appeared to more than 500. And yes, when John was in his 90s, he appeared again. One last confirmation. I'm there for you. It says, and he made us to be king, a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. When you are worried about the witness you give, riding on an airport next to a young man, who just lost his job. He asked me, what made you want to become a pastor? Oh, the Lord opened up the door and said, Fred, give him the blood of my son. And what a joy. We can be confident that God is going to work because he's faithful. He's there. We're priests, but we're priests in his kingdom. And he stands among us. To him is the glory and the power to rule until the ages of ages. Amen. Our Lord is ever living. He's always there in our church. What's going to happen to Lord of Lords Lutheran Church? God's got it. That's his problem. He stands among us. He's there, the son of man, true God and true man. And he says, and he's and holding in his right hand seven stars. 
Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't have to worry about what this means because Revelation chapter 1, verse 20 tells us the seven lampstands are the churches and the seven stars are what we would call today the pastors, those who preach the word. What if we get a pastor who's caught up in scandal? What if we get a pastor who's an unbeliever? What if he starts to teach falsely? Jesus says, I hold him in my hand. Now, you're priests, brothers and sisters in Christ. You're attached to the Lord. So the Lord uses you as his hands. As the Lord's hand. As he holds the pastor of Lord of Lords, Fred Sherman, in his hands for you as he stands among you as the lamp stands. He used you. Let me say thank you. Because I got to go to my 10-year reunion, my official date and start dating ministries, July 2nd. I got to stand with classmates. But do you know what the true beauty of that was? The Lord used you in paying for the airline tickets and the hotel and all those things so that I could stand in front of other pastors and, and be reminded, make sure you're in the Word. Here are the ministry killers. Here's how the Lord has given you defense against those killers. Three of my classmates are not in the ministry in the wells. One was devoured by alligators and he resigned. One is in prison for something tremendously embarrassing. And one got selfish and left for a church where there would be less crosses. But the Lord is using you to keep me who serves you in his hands and protected and you benefit because he stands among you. And he says that and coming out of his mouth was a sharp two edged sword. And there we are, brothers and sisters in Christ, his tongue, his word, two edges, law and gospel, exposing sin and removing sin. He holds me in the hand in his hand so that I can expose and remove your sin. But he uses you to do that with each other as priests to go out the world and share it with each other. See the glory of our risen Lord. He's our ever living God. He protects his church. Now let's cover the last point of our sermon. John sees this risen Lord before him. He knows he defeated death and he rules over death. In verse seven, we're told, pay very close attention. He's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even such ones who pierced him and all the nations of the earth will beat themselves in mourning over him. Yes, indeed. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's been nearly 2000 years, give or take 100 since John saw this vision. And yet. God assures you, I'm still coming. Judgment day is still coming and that's good for you because I'm going to raise you. And yes, those who have rejected my word, those who have persecuted you because you belong to me, oh, oh, it's going to be ugly for them. It will be a day of wrath and mourning for them, but a day of tremendous rejoicing for you. Hang in there. Be faithful. And that two-edged sword of his tongue keeps you there and faithful. John says in verse 17 again, when I saw him, I fell to his feet as if I were a dead man. Just as Jesus had told Thomas to stop doubting and believe and actually his word empowered him to quit doing that and to start doing that. He placed his right hand upon me and he said, stop being afraid. I myself am the first and the last. John falls as if dead. He's paralyzed. But Jesus puts his hand upon him and empowers him with his word, not just commanding him to tell him, knock it off, but empowering him to not be afraid in the presence of his glorious God, because his God, our God, our Lord is full of grace. He says, I myself am the first and the last and the one who keeps on living and I became dead and pay very close attention. I continue being alive forever and ever. And I keep on holding the keys of death and Hades. Hell and death. 
I want to leave you with this image. How do you mourn when you lose brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you mourn like the unbelievers? Do you plan a day every year not to remember them, but so that you can spend extra time weeping and mourning as if they're in hell? It's not the right way. We remember them. But brothers and sisters in Christ, we believe Jesus is risen, the firstborn from the dead. And when we lose a brother or sister in Christ, it's a glorious thing. I stood next to the body of a young lady five weeks from her marriage. She had died in a car accident. She, she, she was 21 years old. And I remember as, as her parents, as her mother went through the struggles telling her, your daughter couldn't be happier than how these things turned out. What? We think of what we're missing because we love them. And if we, we wouldn't miss them if we hadn't loved them and they hadn't loved us. But I said, your daughter can't be happier. She's in heaven. All is well for her. Everything is literally perfect. Yes, we miss them. We miss them tremendously. But how comforting it is to say, I can't wait for judgment day. I can't wait till the day that the Lord... We sound morbid, don't we? I can't wait till I die. I don't look forward to having my soul ripped from my body, but I sure look to being united with my brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone on ahead of me. There's a family reunion. Jesus has locked the gates of hell to you. Locked. You can't go there. He's unlocked the gates of heaven and says, you're attached to me. I've ruled for you over all history in your church to make sure you get here, to keep you as my own. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, John had grit. Yes, he did. And John outlives all the disciples. The one who wrote the next most amount of Scripture doesn't even start writing Scripture until he's in his 80s, lives to be into his hundreds. But his whole entire life, he had the comfort. He saw the glory of the risen Lord. And you and I, through the Holy Spirit, through that double-edged sword of God's word, we see the glory of our risen Lord. He's our ever-living God. He protects his church, which means he protects you. And he rules over death, which means he, has, he keeps you alive in him. Amen. And now grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forevermore. Amen.